Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome to this week's edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. On the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. As always, taking your questions. Uh, don't forget to continue submitting those for us. But we have plenty to talk about this week after the Chiefs fall to 8-5. and five, After their second straight loss, the fourth loss in six games for this team. 20-17 um, to 17 against the Bills in Arrowhead. Ron, how are you feeling today? Well, I think you know we we've survived the storm, but uh, you know this is we we definitely need to to let everyone you know get some get some thoughts out, get their emotions out. Obviously, our guys Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes had to after the game. Um, I've never seen either of them you know so animated and so you know expressive of the officiating right after the game in the post game press conference. You know, I as someone that covers the post game press conferences and usually looks for an angle to write about. There was only one angle to write about, and it was the officiating. Um, I'm gonna not gonna lie, Stags. That was I. I was pretty. Uh, that that was pretty embarrassing for at, at first um, to kind of hear them kind of just go off and on and on and on about it. And uh, but you know, there's there's obviously a reason they were so you know they were so animated, right, Stags? I don't know, but at, at first it really was just like, wow, they're really gonna go on and on about this, huh? They're they're not even gonna talk about anything else. We heard Mahomes kind of you know talk you know uh kind of just say you know he he you know he regrets kind of being so animated after the game because obviously you know the josh allen handshake you know he mentioned something about the officiating uh you know he was had to be held back on the sidelines but you know i i you know i i'm i'm glad you know we're we're, we're past this now we're, we're in the eye of the storm uh or maybe we're past the storm i should say we're past the storm stags but i don't know it was just amazing to see i mean i i, I could not believe how hung up they were on it yeah, it was notable, and it is unusual for both of those guys to blame anything but themselves when it comes to any outcome that wasn't ideal. And it was shocking to see it happen in the middle of the game. You know, it, often you'll see the coach will go after the ref and argue. Maybe, you know, the quarterback sometimes will throw his arms up in frustration or he'll say something to the ref, but then they move on. I wasn't so worried about them not moving on after the game. I was more worried about how they didn't move on during the game and the fact that they still had a chance to win this game even after that bad call. Uh, we can talk about the call in, in, in a moment. But even after that that play was called back, there was still three plays there where they could have easily moved the ball, 
you know, gotten uh, ahead of the sticks and and uh, continued that drive and and could have still ended that game on a positive note with a win. And it, it really seemed like the game was over at that point. And with Mahomes yelling at the refs during a timeout, um, you know, when they really should be getting themselves focused on what to do, that was the part that was most concerning to me. Followed closely by the Josh Allen handshake, I thought that was a really surprisingly un, yeah, not a great sportsman, you know, uh, way of doing it. again. So I was less embarrassed by the whole thing and more like, whoa, <laughs> if they're reacting like this, something's up. And, and, and it can only be one of two things. It can only be one that this was an atrocious call that cost them the game literally in that situation. Or two, this team is getting pretty frustrated with, with the close losses, with their lack of execution, and it boiled over. And this was more of a straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know which one of those two things it was. We'll never know. But it's one of those two. And, and, and that's why it was it was notable more so to me than embarrassing. No, I think I, I like that point because, you know, that was my first initial thought was that it was a pretty embarrassing thing. I even tweeted like, you know, hey, they, they should accept all the criticism they're going to get today on Monday for the way they handled that. Then some stuff comes out in terms of uh, Dan Orvlosky, the ESPN analyst, former NFL quarterback. You know, he gets this all 22 a lot quicker than us local guys. And, and he was he was already on it. And I thought it was very interesting that he pointed out how Tony was lining up very similarly offsides throughout the game, um, you know, four or five times leading up to that point. Uh, maybe I, you know, maybe I stretched that to five. I think it was at least four times leading up to the first, uh, the one they called the penalty on. Now, that could either be a point on either side of this argument, right? Because if you say, you know, he was doing it all game and they didn't flag him, and then they flagged him in that moment, is that's one thing. But if they were doing, if he was doing it all game and getting warned, then there, then he was out of line on that last play. So, you know, that could go either way, right? But, but that's that's where the point is that. Andy made it clear that they were not warned. Right. And, and there was not communication about that. And, you know, that's where, you know, at first when it, it when I thought maybe it was just the one play, it's like, Hey, if he's lined up very offsides on a play, you know, I, I don't know how exactly it works, but I, I assume they're just going to throw the flag. And that's what Carl Sheffer said after the game is like, Hey, you know, if he's at offsides, we're going to throw the flag. But if he was lining up, you know, similarly offsides the entire game and the officials didn't give them a warning, like, and the other clip that I saw on, on Twitter uh, was Matt Ryan, former NFL quarterback, saying I, he kind of understood the gripe uh, from Reed and Mahomes because he usually he said they usually get warned three or four times throughout the game on stuff like that, on you know pl- receivers lining up too close to the line of scrimmage, any sort of formational thing. And so, you know, I think that's where the frustration came from from both of them is that why was why did they choose the one you know the the biggest moment of the game? to make an example when it sounded like there was a potential for them to make, you know, make a point before then, Hey guys, you know, Tony's lying a little bit off, you know, close to the line of scrimmage. Let's just make a warning. And so that's where I get Andy's, you know, uh, frustration. And that's why I was kind of like, okay, I get why he was trying to make a point. Bottom line is though, the, the microcosm of Tony lining too far off sides so much so that the ref has to throw a flag 
it's just the lack of detail this whole receiver group's play, played with this year. So we can talk about that later. But I, I think just overall, I, I do kind of I, I, I became to understand why Reed and Mahomes were so frustrated about the lack of communication from Carl Sheffers and his crew once again. Yeah, it, it, and it is notable also that it came from from this crew. And we had, we did have a couple of questions to this effect. Um, you know, what's under steer calls out the other big call of the game really was that incredible play from Josh Allen where he throws the ball incredible. out of bounds with two guys on him, gets it to Latavius Murray. Is that right? Uh, running back. Yes. And clearly, at least to my eye, drops that pass. Me too. And and they spent a bunch of time reviewing that and then came back with a conclusion that that it was a catch. Um, that was that was shocking. But this is a ref with some serious history with the Chiefs, and and I I'm not making the case for bias. I, I don't think that that's fair or reasonable to say that this guy just hates the Chiefs, so he tries to screw them over. I'm more making the case for incompetency personally, but if you look through the history of, of this of this guy with the Chiefs, there are some pretty famous calls in Chiefs history that were directly related to this exact same referee. 2016 postseason, the Chiefs score a, game, score a touchdown and go for two to tie the game. It's 18 to 16. They're going for two. They convert it, tie the game, Carl Cheffers flags Eric Fisher for a holding penalty. Calls that one back. The Chiefs lose 18-16 in the playoffs. Travis Kelsey, not one to mince words, uh, says that it was ignorance on his part, that he should never be allowed to wear a zebra jersey again, not even working at a footlocker. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. But that was uh, – that. I don't know if that was the beginning of this of this uh, chapter with Sheffers and the Chiefs, but it went on Super Bowl, you know, against Tampa Bay. Yep, that game was always remembered for the offensive line play, but it, the penalties almost were worse to watch. That game was brutal when it came to penalties. The Chiefs were penalized eleven times for 120 yards, Tampa Bay four times for 39 yards. That was a record for the most penalties in the first half of a Super Bowl ever. And then 2022, week five, Chris Jones <laughs> gets a sack, forces a fumble, recovers the fumble, all in one motion, and gets flagged somehow for roughing the passer, for not stopping midair and not landing on, on the quarterback. Um and basically, the the Arrowhead Stadium folks didn't let uh, didn't let Sheffers off the hook uh, for that one. Uh, there's just one thing after another after another. Now, the reason I'm saying it's not like he hates the Chiefs bias. One of the reasons, number one, I feel like that's a dumb conspiracy theory. Number two, in the Super Bowl this last year, the penalty against James Bradbury on on Juju Smith-Schuster that. A lot of Philly fans blame for their loss in the Super Bowl was also Carl Sheffers. So, you know, it's not always, you know, he's going against the Chiefs and the Chiefs are losing. But when it's that guy, it's more sensitive because it's, it's happened so many times. Well, that's but that's the full circle thing here where it's like, oh, OK, so we're doing the same thing the Eagles fans are doing. 
last year at the end of their, which I know it's a little different, obviously, um, because it's more of a, you know, uh, a uh, procedural thing rather than like an in the play, like, you know, uh, in the moment kind of kind of flag. All that to say, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's 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 cool that we that we, you know, we we let Andy and Pat get that frustration out, you know, right. We, we let them, you know, express it. They both kind of, you know, were, you know, Andy was like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses. You know, I'm just, you know, was trying to explain, you know, why, you know, it, it, it was going down the way it was. So I think uh, I, I think that's good. But people were still, you know, were still upset with Tony. I mean, people were uh, were, were in the mentions uh, in the comments at AP. Definitely upset with Tony for lining up uh, offside stags. I know you heard heard about that. Yeah, you know, I, and I told this is maybe the first time I've ever done this on Twitter. I said, hey, uh, bright guy NFL Wonderkind on Twitter. Why didn't we would love to know why Kadarius Tony didn't make the losers list? And I said, hey, let's let's talk about that this week because you know, as I go through and make that list every week, first of all, it's it's immediately post game that I'm writing those, so it's not. There are some things that are hard to tell, you know, without a further review. Um, and I called that out this week, even as I talked about, you know, some of the coverage issues, um, you know, the the fact that uh, the Bills running back James Cook was wide open a couple times. It's hard to attribute that to any one particular player, you know, in the moment. But if you look at the game from Kadarius Tony, take a step back and say, you know, production wise, he was involved in the offense more than he has been. And in fact, this was his most productive game of the 2023 season. <laughs> that That's, that's first hilarious. of all, not a strong testament to his season, but this was his most productive game and his best play of the day w- didn't count because of penalty, right? So it had, had that call not happened in that way, you're talking about him scoring a touchdown on a spectacular play, having – Two rush, uh, two rushes. One of them went for 14 yards. Three catches on four targets, um, including a he couple. Did, that moved he did chain. drop a pass, which would have been it was it wasn't a kind of a crucial kind of kill the drive. Uh, sure. On a, on a second and long, would have made it third and short. Ended up being third and twelve. Yeah. Hey, so. this is not a Kadarius Tony fanboy uh, cheerleading uh, podcast or article <laughs> at this point. I mean, this is this is somebody who's who's had a really rough season. Somebody who the Chiefs said was their number one wide receiver and has performed like a number five wide receiver all season and and at best. And, and that's certainly frustrating. But reading down the list of these questions, uh, so we talked about bright guy, uh, Panchenko in 1970. They can't keep putting Tony on the field. I mean, no, no way, right? And Eric H835, why hasn't Tony been cut already? It's already 9.45 a.m. <laughs> I would think they would get out of bed sooner than that. It's not a good look for Mahomes and Reed to complain about the call when Tony was damn near on the defensive line. We all learned to line up when we were eight years old. Uh, you know, <laughs> which well is praised, true. Eric, by the way. I, I appreciate your, your uh, prose there. But it, it is, to me, a little bit probably unfair to say – you know, this is all on Kadarius Tony. As Thomas Ramirez pointed out, what was worse, the offsides on Kadarius Tony, or the, or sorry, or the offsides that they didn't call on Von Miller? Mm-hmm. Um, you can go through this game and find a lot of calls that didn't go the right way or should have gone a different way. 
again, coming back to this, not that it's biased, but maybe it's not the, the highest level of competency from the officiating. When you look at uh, some of the false start calls, you know, the, there was a, there's been some, some footage on Twitter this week of, of both Bill's tackles, you know, jumping early in the same way that they, they always call Jawan Taylor for every single week. So, you know, that kind of stuff is frustrating. But again, whether you want to blame Tony, you want to blame the refs, we can't sit here and, and, and say that this was a fluke, that this was a, you know, they'd have a perfect season if not four, because, <laughs> because they, they now have five losses. Yeah, no, we're burying, we're, you know, the, the thing we're, the lead we're burying is that, you know, they are only one game up in the division. They are, you know, two games back in the one seed. Uh, you know, that's where the frustration boiled over. I mean, you mentioned the frustration boiling over with these losses, but it's because, I mean, they are just anybody now in the playoff picture. They are not, they're not know, the front runner anymore. Yeah, that's no. for sure. And, and, and I think that does go back to your point of, of this is not a new issue. This is not, Right. Uh, you know, whether he's lined up off, he's clearly lined up off sides in that play. Yes. But the drops, the, the penalties, the turnovers have been an issue all season in every one of the losses. You can attribute it directly to those three things. And this is no exception. So, you know, you, you beat your head up against the wall because the exact same thing happens every single week. And, and, and again, you get to a situation where the chiefs have the ball and there's a couple minutes left on the clock. All they have to do is drive the field and score, and they win. And you look at the guy next to you, and do you say, oh, here we go. Chiefs are about to win this game. Or do you say, oh, God, what's going to go wrong here? And and I, I know I had the what's going to go wrong here feeling this week uh, when they got to that last drive. Something, something was going to go wrong. They were not going to score and win that game, uh, even though <laughs> they have the MVP and – and, and other pieces that, that should that should give you some confidence. Yeah, no, I think the one thing we've talked about it before, but like these late game situations and, and it just being consistently untrustworthy now, you know, one of my favorite national podcasts I listen to is Ryan Rosillo. And, you know, he always says his favorite thing about one of his favorite football things is just, you know, Mahomes in the last four minutes of a game. Just what is he going to do? And, you know, he opened his pod this week saying, you know, it's not, you know, I, I, it's not fun anymore. You know, it, it, it really isn't like, you know, I, you know, Mahomes has lost me, you know, it used to be my favorite thing in football. Now it's, you know, one of the most discouraging things in football and it's not because of Mahomes, like Mahomes did not lose superpowers. Like yeah, even if he misses powers. passes, even if he, you know, is, you know, is timid in the pocket at times where it's like, Hey, you should, you know, read through it's, it's all because he is uncomfortable with who he's throwing to, and and maybe who's around him as a pass as pass protectors too, but uh, I think for the most part the line's doing well. He had a rookie left tackle this week, and we're going to talk about him as a winner here here in a second. But the last point I want to make on the on the the blow up from Mahomes and Reed is no one better make this out to be like some you know uh, like difference from Mahomes from like Bra- you know Brady did this all the time, <laughs> but this is this is this is what hyper competitive athletes do you know there was a tw- uh, clip going around of of the of the time uh, it was monday night football 
They didn't call defensive pass interference on on Keekley against Gronk in the end zone. Brady rides the ref, yelling at him, screaming at him, coming off the field, walks with him into the tunnel, and is just and just hollering at him with a red face. Like this is what hyper competitive athletes do. So it's it's definitely not anything like anyone saying like, oh, I lost respect for Mahomes is kind of just being ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. But we go back to this. Okay, one more thought on this game before we move on to, to the rest of the topics. What aspects of the game would lead you to believe, lead you to believe that they lost this, this, this particular contest? Mahomes outplayed Josh Allen for the most part. Would you agree with or disagree with that statement? I would agree with that statement. Yes, I would. Statistically, it's true. You know, uh, in, in just about every category, they both had one touchdown, one interception. Holmes averaged more yards per attempt, more yards total, higher QBR, higher rating overall. No, you're or, right, 100%. Or higher rating overall, yeah. So, uh, fine. So, Mahomes wasn't bad. That wasn't the reason they lost. Uh, they, they were missing Isaiah Pacheco, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire stepped in and played his best game of the season. Not that he was spectacular, but he ended up with around 70 total yards, made some made some good plays. Jared McKinnon kicked kicked in and looked had his best game of the season, I thought. Looked the most spry we've seen him in a bit. Between those two guys, they filled the void. The running game was passable, right? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. All right. Uh, was the defense terrible in this game? Yeah. They gave up 20 points to Buffalo. They settled in, for sure. They settled in. They had three sacks. You know, they, Second uh, half was a different story, for sure. They, they forced a turnover. You know, a, a nice interception by Jamar Connor. Uh, yeah, the second half they figured out how to get some pressure. Sure, they let uh, you know James Cook cook a little bit more than what he should have been, but overall the defense was did did enough that the, they should have won this game. Did they make a big special teams mistake? No. Harrison Butker is still perfect on the season, and Richie James had one of his best returns of the year with a 25 yard punt return. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Why did they lose this game, Ron? <laughs> And how do you come no, up short is. at home when There's none of one those thing you didn't mention there? Uh, <laughs> was there a position one, group I left out? I, I'm trying to I'm trying to count here. And you and 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 this is where we can get into winners and losers and start with you know you had the losers as again you didn't feature Tony, but one of them was coaches Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, and wide receivers coach Connor Embry. And at this point, I've been someone that's been kind of saying, look, like you know, hey Embry. Like, let's not like target any like it's it's not his right. fault that the receivers are bad. At this point, anyone involved with the receivers deserves, you know, fault, blame. And, you know, I'm not saying like some people are like, you got to fire Embry. That's what's going to change it. I'm not that's I don't think that's the case. But, you know, something got, something has to change because that really was. And the theme of this theme of this game was the pass offense being abysmal again. They only completed one pass. Uh, out of five throws, 20 or more yards downfield. Uh, Mahomes on non-play action dropbacks averaged only 5.4 yards per attempt. A lot of his success came on, uh, you know, screens, uh, quick screens or play action passes. Anytime it was just, all right, guys, I'm a drop back. You're going to get open. If it wasn't a quick pass, it rarely worked. Um, and, and, you know, you saw that on the third and 12 incompletion early to MVS. You saw that on, you know, Rice, he threw it low to Rice in, in the end zone, which they scored on that drive anyway, so that was okay. Um, and Sky on one, you know, he threw at his feet because Sky's just drifting in the route. It's just – and Sky's a loser for you. I'm glad you you pointed that out. It was his only target of the game. 
and and he's still two years in for week 14 still cannot for whatever reason run a crisp route where Mahomes thinks he's going to be it is just crazy you know you think you know I when when it happens to Rice I excuse it more with what happens to Sky it's just mind-boggling mm-hmm. and so yeah I think the real theme of this game and and you highlighted them in the losers really was just anybody involved in the pass offense uh, and outside of outside of Mahomes, because I think Mahomes did his best. He made a few really nice throws. The Rice touchdown was really great. Um, there was just a lot the of miscommunication. Kelsey on, on third and long. You know, yeah, that was a great lead. play. Good play uh, by Kelsey too. But Mahomes finding him. Yeah, I mean that. It really doesn't come down to like one game worth of failure to me. To me, the fact that it has not gotten any better. Like exactly, Rasheed Rice is developing. And, and he's doing enough to overcome any – if he has a drop every game, but he still puts up 80 yards on 10 targets, then that's 100% right. of success. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Um, if Sky Moore drops his only target of the game or misses his only target of the game, then he's not contributing anything. And it's not just Sky Moore. Uh, MVS is still exactly the same guy he's always been. It's a 50-50 shot at best if you target MVS in his career. And this year is no different, but he's lacking the big plays that make up for it. You tolerate that stuff when somebody's a playmaker. If they're not being a playmaker and they're still making all the same mistakes that they've always made and they're not getting better, that to me becomes a coaching issue. Whether it is a lack of development of those particular players, it's a schematic thing where they're not putting them in the – in the easiest possible position to succeed, or it's a it's an issue where the coaches need to sit somebody on the bench and play somebody else who can be in the right spot and, and catch the passes thrown to them. One way or the, not the other, this wide receiver room continues to be the same amount of a problem it has been literally since the first week of the season, and we're in week fourteen. Yeah, no, it's it's we said it in the Eagles game. It's it's the same issues we're talking about that we've said in week one. So it's it was, like the Lions game. Obviously, week one was was catastrophic in this regard, and and it's not any different now. So, yeah, I, I think I think to to kind of round out the game discussion, um, you know, the winners. Let's let's talk about some silver linings. You mentioned <laughs> Butker. Butker yeah. stays perfect. Wow. Um, you know, we do get to shout out the defense. You mentioned Connor at the interception. That really was a nice play. He read Josh's eyes when he was scrambling, flew across the field. He really did cover a lot of ground. I've always said uh, since, uh, you know, me and the draft guys joke that we really didn't know much about Connor when they drafted him. So we were doing the all 22 research as they were drafting him, um, trying to get our takes out. And the one thing I thought about him in that in that rushed film study was he does a lot better coming forward as a player and that and that relates to pass coverage too and coming backwards he's got a lot of a lot of room to to grow and that's why you may not see him be put in those situations very much where he's like a free safety type but man if he's moving forward if he's running towards the ball he is a a, a playmaker so shout out him shout out to jerry sneed for shout uh, for shutting down stevon diggs absolutely diggs only had 24 catches on 11 targets that's almost two yards a target that's ridiculous yeah uh, and George Karloftis was definitely noticeable. Um, he was the one who finished out of all the, the rushers, but I think the whole pass rush group. Um, I know you had uh, Turk and Chris Jones with some uh, in in the losers column, but uh, I think the whole yeah. pass rush group definitely deserves some credit. And, and just to be clear there, 
Turks had a rough season, I think, just not a not a bad season, but just a very unproductive season for him, uh, considering where expectations were. Chris Jones, I think, to me, this was a frustrating game for him because he was he was just like this far. This is great radio here. Th- this far, he's very close to making yeah. a lot of plays, and and didn't get, wasn't able to get it done. And so I, I think to me, it wasn't that Chris Jones was bad. It's just that I'm sure this was a very very frustrating game for him. George Karloftis, on the other hand, got his ninth sack and he had his tenth sack, uh, but it was called back for a penalty. Uh, so this oh, is man, this is I, didn't even, who, uh, I didn't even realize that. Or he was about to crack double digits, and and frankly, should have in this game. So, um, wow, you know, ten, is, ten sacks with four games to go would have been quite a quite a statement kind of uh, yeah. number. I know. I mean, obviously, nine sacks is very impressive still, but just kind of getting to that double digit is always kind of the mark for a, a good pass rusher. So. Absolutely. All right, bring us back down before we go to break, Ron. What's what's your party pooper segment for this week? Well, I do think the Chiefs defense, while they did settle in, we did see them pass rush again, I think deserves some credit. I think these last few weeks, it's starting to build up more and more. There's, I, I think you're starting to see the cracks in the spine of the defense, right? That middle of the defense. And, and you know, we thought the linebacker room was going to be one of the strengths this year. You know, the safety room is obviously, you know, uh, something that we you know thought was deep and, and, and a stronghold. But you're seeing how one injury can really make it crumble. I think for starters, though, I will start up front. Deep in the tackle room, I, I think we're starting to see all the frustrations we had before the season about not addressing it. You just mentioned Turk Wharton. Derek Naughty is, 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 is kind of resorting back to, to maybe the reason why we thought they needed to improve from that this offseason. Matt Dickerson is not somebody, you know, you can consistently play on the inside. Um, he may, you know, he, he does hustle hard. He makes plays, um, you know, when he's in. And, you know, and I think a lot of that is because he has the fresh legs. He's kind of getting in there while the offensive line has already, you know, uh, been, you know, three drives in or whatever. All that to say, I think you're seeing, starting to see the cracks in that up front in the run game. Drew Tranquil being out is really exposing, you know, the the athleticism of the linebacker room or the just kind of the 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 awareness of the linebacker room. I think Nick Bolton had a very very rough game. To be honest with you, Stags, I'm surprised you didn't have him in the losers column because um, I think he was a big reason. You know, you had Turk Wharton kind of. You mentioned Turk Wharton had uh, a. You know, he was kind of pushed back on that Josh Allen touchdown run. Nick Bolton had one one and no pro- part of of trying to push that pile back either. And I think it was kind of maybe just some rust from his first game back. Not saying, you know, that's yeah, I think he will improve. I was giving him but, a little grace there for, for that. Yeah, and that's fair. But I think they targeted him early. You actually saw James Cook, you know, was was being used uh, in coverage by Gay or, or Bolton, and that's where he kind of got loose a few times. It, it was really good. I, I would say both play designs were good on, on those plays up the sideline and then the touchdown mm-hmm. up the field. But all that to say – is I do think you know Drew Tranquil is a huge part of this. If he you know is 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 out, you know that's gonna you're gonna see the the, the cracks in it. But he should be back, right? So that's that's good. But Brian Cook, I don't know how how long that is. They didn't put him on IR, but that was a nasty ankle injury he 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 used or he went through. And man, you know he he is known for his range right now. He can fly around the field, and if he's kind of limited in that capacity, you know you're seeing the the cracks of Mike Edwards filling in for him. You know, Mike Edwards is a playmaker, but an inconsistent one. And so that's where, you know, I am a little concerned with, with just the spine of the defense right now. And you're seeing it over the last few weeks. It seems like injuries getting healthier probably will help. 
the back end, but I don't see the defensive tackle room getting better unless they give Neil Farrell Jr. a chance, Keandre Coburn a chance. Two bigger guys that, you know, maybe that is one answer to this, you know, giving those fresh legs, guys that haven't played all year, uh, you know, an opportunity to, to stuff some gaps down the stretch. Yeah, the, the Chiefs are soft in the middle like lava cake or, or dad bods is what I'm <laughs> There you go, there. lava cake. I like that. <laughs> All right. Let's get to your game and uh, and then hear from our sponsors. So, Ron has got everybody's favorite game. What oh, NFL yeah. player am I who's played for both the Chiefs and the Patriots this week? What do you got? Yes, sir, Stags. You're going to have to guess who I am. I am someone that played for the Chiefs and Patriots. Played for the Patriots during the beginning of the Bill Belichick era. I was there in the beginning. Although I only made one Pro Bowl while I was while I was playing for, for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Came to the Chiefs and caught two touchdowns in two years uh, during with the Chiefs. So, got to guess I who I am. Before you started talking, buddy. All right, we're <laughs> stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back. We'll answer that question and the rest of your questions from Twitter. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr., who's always trying to stump us with these, what NFL player am I? But when you said this is somebody that played for both the Chiefs and the Patriots, there's one name that came to my head, and, he, and he's uh, he's since been a somewhat successful NFL head coach, uh, and our guy Mike Vrabel, who I remember when they traded for Vrabel, by the way, thinking that they just hit the jackpot, that they got oh, yeah. a Pro Bowl player and a starting quarterback for yeah second round pick. Pat's GM coming over the the I mean, you know was, Pioli this, the genius. This is going to be the next great era of Chiefs football, and uh, it, it wasn't. Wasn't so much so. Well, no, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm surprised. I, I guess I just underestimated you, Stag. I'm just gonna be honest because uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking, oh, I could do Ty Law, I could do Matt Castle, but you know, maybe Vrabel. If I say, oh, two touchdowns with the Chiefs, maybe he'd, uh, you know, just think offense too hard. But you're, you're too good. You're, you're too good. I, I, I underestimated. We take take our small victories where we can get them. Uh, all right. <laughs> just to bring us back down, mailroom questions. Matthew Ketchum just sends a gif that says, "Why does it hurt so much?" <laughs> <laughs> it is painful, man. I mean, we're back in the we're back in the slums of the AFC of the playoff race. You know, we're not the, you know, these last losses. You know, these last few losses. It was like, all right, well, you know, it happens. You know, they just need to kind of, you know, get the ship right. But you know, losing four or six. I made a note of it. It was the first time Mahomes as a starting quarterback has lost four or six games. It was only the second time he's ever done it. And it was the first time since that 2021 stretch at the beginning of the year when I think we all consider that like the, mm. the low point of the Mahomes era. We've and so we yeah. maybe I'll ask you this, Stags, is this the low point of the Mahomes era? I mean, are we are we is it that much of a of a of a panic button? Because he doesn't I mean, we don't lose four or six again. I just mentioned it. Mm. It's only happened another time. One other time. I had not thought of it in that way. Uh, KS Chaser uh, chasing bad. Why can't they have nice things this year? It's just mistakes and refs. I, t- I tune in to watch a crazy lateral touchdown, not for the ref to flag something. Um, the biggest issue is that for most of the Mahomes era, they were good enough to overcome those mistakes and flags. Yeah. Last year, 
they made less mistakes this year's mistakes galore, especially or usually at the worst times. I think to me that's the biggest thing is they're making a lot of mistakes. They're making mistakes at very, very critical times. And, you know, I would say the vibes aren't are, are pretty low at this point from the Mahomes era standpoint. I think there's a, you know, less of a belief, as I mentioned before, that when Mahomes gets the ball down, down three, you know, two minutes to go, is he going to win that game? Is he going to put him on his back and, and find a way to get that done? Or is there going to be some ridiculous mistake, different one every time, like whack-a-mole popping up, causing causing a trouble that that, uh, that causes them to lose? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think it's just the execution is just like so noticeably worse this year that, yeah, it makes the very bad penalties moments, the holding calls, the, you know, the false starts. It all just feels worse because – Hey, when they get into a first and 15 or, you know, a second and 15, it's no longer like how we used to feel about it. Oh, yeah, they got it right. You know, it's it's you know, they're going to Mahomes will drop back, find Kelsey 15 yards down the field or what. Nope, it's it's not like that right now. So any little penalty just feels like it it, it really just sets them behind the sticks. Yep, drops do that too. turnovers. Right. You know, the game game feels like it's over. All right. Well, let, let's let's look look ahead here a little bit. Uh, Pat Machuk, if you're really, first of all, Pat Machuk, I love the optimism here. If you're really worried about the Chiefs, go be a Cowboys fan. Uh, this is the love it or leave it uh, approach here, which, which I, I, I like it in this instance. The Chiefs will rally together. They'll, they'll win the next four weeks, get rolling, end up with a, a chance at the Super Bowl. How can anyone doubt, mess around and find out? Um, this sort of leads me a little bit into to Mike's two-start Home field advantage is probably off the table, but the remaining four games are extremely winnable. Will beating these four bad or mediocre teams tell us anything, or will it feel like fool's gold? I think the offense is what it is at this point. So, you know, again, I like the blind optimism of Pat Machuk here to, to just say, hey, you know, you can't doubt these guys. They've won two Super Bowls. They've been to another one. They were – Overtime away from being in two other Super Bowls. I mean, this is a this is a championship caliber group with the best defense you've ever seen them play with. Uh, so why wouldn't they they have a chance to come back, especially given a soft set schedule as Mike's two start said? Yeah, no, I this is my thing. Is I thought we would be getting this. You know, I, we were saying you would be getting some fool's gold you know, maybe from this stretch after the Eagles game, right? You know, because they were playing the Eagles and the Packers. The funny thing is they've, they lost, you know, two of those games now that I that I thought maybe they'd be able to run the table through. We all we both thought the Bills game would be tough. I, I, we called yeah. that, um, you know, at the and, and desperate energy is hard to match, right? And the Bills definitely had more desperate energy mm. than the Chiefs. All that to say is, yeah, I do think there's there's a chance it or I, I would say it will, probably will be fool's gold the next four games. We just learned that Justin Herbert is not going to be available for that last game of the season for the Chargers. He he is out for the season. You know, Jake yes. Browning, I will say, has played well for the Bengals. Their offense looks pretty good. Um, but, I, you know, he hasn't played a Spags defense. I imagine, you know, that's going to be kind of a rude awakening. And uh, he's for the, the Bengals. best quarterback remaining on their regular season schedule. Right. Yeah. So and so, yeah. The, the speculation that I just saw here, Bradley Zappi, Aiden Bailey, O'Connell, Jake Browning, and Easton Stick 
<laughs> I mean, I, isn't that a baseball bat? I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> that's a good name for one. Uh, this is this is not a group that that most of us have even heard of, much less should be afraid of when it comes to the the matchups. So yeah, I think they have every opportunity to win these last four games. Of course, they had an opportunity to win the last two weeks, uh, but this is a uh, this is a team that you know has everything still in front of them. Is it the end of the world if they have to go play on the road in the playoffs? Right, probably not. No, it, should, it no one should feel like that. We just haven't seen it, right? And it's always, you know, especially now that there are only there is only one team that gets that bye week. It is such an advantage over the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. We haven't, you know, they haven't had to experience that, um, at least, you know, to win the Super Bowl, right? They they missed out on the bye week in 2021. They ended up losing in the AFC Championship. They kind of lost steam in that second half. It's it's something to consider. So yeah, I, I do think they're they'll they'll look they'll pull, they'll win these games. But I do think the party pooper segment guys really is the whole point of this question is that you know there's cracks and and weaknesses, soft spots in this team that they show each week. And even if they did pull this game out, even if they did win the game against Green Bay because they called the DPI on Pat on on MVS down late, and you know they ended up you know punching that in, there's still these cracks that I think are going to show up in the worst moments. All right. Well, Brandon Plank asks, "Are we concerned that they might miss the playoffs altogether?" <laughs> the other it, side of this, it feels like the number one seed is gone. Um, you know, with obviously maybe the, the result of last night's game being a, a little bit of a, a assistance to get them towards the number one seed. If the Dolphins had that loss, which helps them at least keep that door at least cracked open. Oh yeah. Um, but helps. Denver has, you know, Denver has the lions, Patriots, chargers, and Raiders. When the chiefs have the Patriots, Raiders, chargers, and Bengals remaining. So pretty similar schedule here. Denver's a team that's been heating up. Could they could they mess around and lose the division at this point? I mean, it's it's it would be. I mean, you're talking all time. You know this this it, you know we would be freaking out in Chiefs Kingdom if they if they fell that hard on their faces at the end of this season um, because you know hey again we just talked about it. you know Buffalo was a tough team you know was a team that. I think we all kind of thought maybe going into the game, especially you know once we saw the injury report, that they could have lost that game. But there's no excuse for losing to the Patriots this year, although their defense is playing better. Um, and, you know, the Raiders at home on Christmas Day against Aiden O'Connell, you got to win that game. We had just talked about Chargers and Bengals. Yeah, I, I there's just – I don't see a way that the Chiefs, you know, drop that those games. And, and if they do – Let's all panic, but I, I I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I think we will see them finish strong for the regular season, and then we'll, I'll just be here waiting for the inevitable, unfortunate, you know, being my pessimistic self. Well, intentionally left blank here on Twitter brings up that that question: What's the new acceptable expectation? Is it to win the division, make the playoffs, at least get past the first round? I mean, what what do you think? What's the new? What's the new? Not even acceptable. What's what's the new realistic expectation now? I, I you've been saying all along that maybe there's this is not necessarily a a Super Bowl season. Um, will you be yeah. happy if they win the division? No, I, I see. That's the thing is, I, you know, I'm acknowledging that I don't think it's gonna, you know, that that they're gonna finish this off, but. 
my thing is that you they still being the defending Super Bowl champions, being the team they are, they should still have the expectation to go all the way. I mean, that's the team, the team's mindset's going to have that. And, you know, trust me, anything short of that is going to, you know, result in, I think either, you know, I, I think Brett Beach is going to be shuffling around, you know, a lot of the offense, uh, the skill position players, pretty much no matter what happens, but probably because it's going to uh, fall short. Now, I will say, I still think the AFC, you know, they can make a run through the AFC. I just really feel like whoever they match up with in the NFC Super Bowl in the NFC side of the Super Bowl, it just feels like one of those teams is gonna end up overwhelming them. You know, Niners, Cowboys, Eagles, like one of those. Like the Eagles look like the worst of the three, and you know, I mean, the Chiefs outplayed them. You know, they, you you couldn't argue they they should have beat them, um, but at the same time, you know, they did the the Eagles did just beat them, and and you know, and showed some reasons to that they could do it again. So, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I think still the expectation for for the team should be you know going all the way. But my thing is, uh, I, I think probably my highest expectation is just to get to the Super Bowl. I could see them stumbling once they get there. Um, yeah, but they can still make a run through the AFC. The AFC is j- that jumbled up. I think at least getting to the AFC Championship game is is kind of where I okay. where I think it's going. I don't think it's a first round exit. I don't think they're going to miss. I guess the if, if it's on the road in the AFC Championship, right? Like, you know, I guess that's a fair. It's like, all right, you know, finally it was another team's year, kind of thing. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a fair thing to kind of think how to think. I mean, about. we're we're bargaining a little bit here. You know, I don't know what stage that is in the uh, grief process here, but but oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's it's one of those situations where they they should they should still win the Super Bowl. They probably won't if unless something better changes, but they should, they're going to, they should still win the division and they probably will unless something massive changes. Right. And so that's why, yeah, that shouldn't just be the expectation. You know, getting to the playoffs should not be the expectation. This, this team should still be one of the, they're still one of the best teams in the AFC, if not debatably, you know, I think the Ravens have a good argument to be made, but every, you know, everyone's showing holes that the chiefs have. So I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, you know, Hey, the chiefs have problems. Like, Hey, every team has problems. I do think the Chiefs' problems are, are pretty dire compared to other teams' problems, um, compared to you know winning a Super Bowl. But again, the AFC is so jumbled up. I really feel like it's the year for the Niners, Cowboys, or, or Eagles to to kind of make it through and and take that. Well, speaking of dire problems, let's get to the wide receiver room. Sonny Derod from Gmail. Sonny the Road. He 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 told me that's how to pronounce it. Sonny the Road. The Road. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Sonny, Sonny the Road. Appreciate the question here. A common opinion is that if Justin Watson's your number one receiver, then you have a problem. The question here, though, is why? If he gets open, makes catches, Mahomes trusts him, <laughs> what's the problem? No, it's a good question. I've actually, we talked about this on the pod before, but it really is just that, you know, he is a trustworthy, reliable receiver for that limited time. He's, he's, he's supposed to be in that three or four receiver spot where he's running, you know, downfield routes as that auxiliary player, you know, maybe not the primary read, but you know, someone that's pushing the safeties, but Hey, if the safety kind of works down, then you're going to have an open, open play. He is good in limited opportunities, but he's, he's a limited player for a reason. As soon as you see that target dial turn up, the efficiency goes, goes away, right? It's because he will have drop problems over 10 targets in a game. We saw him drop those passes, you know, in the Eagles game, you just can't rely on him on him that much, you know? And the thing yeah. is he, he's a downfield receiver that should just only get, it's, it's like the MVS thing. Like MVS only gets two or three targets a game because he's a downfield 
kind of a safety pusher, but if it's there, Mahomes is going to throw it. Watson's good at that, but that should really only happen, especially with the way play, teams defend the Chiefs, like two, three, four times maximum a game. And so he really, you know, he's not the best receiver at the other stuff. He, it's really the downfield stuff that he has the connection with. So again, if he has 10, 11 targets, it's because he's doing more than he's should be doing in his role. And that's why he's not a number one receiver. He's more of a, just a complimentary piece. Yeah. Now, if you said he should be the number one deep threat receiver on this current roster as constructed over MVS, I'm, I'm with you. Right. I think, that's, I think that's absolutely fair. But yeah, he's got a very specific role and we've seen when they try to make it more than that, he's not, he's not that type of player, uh, which is fine. Is is what he is. Town yeah. town town halls, Canada. I'm going to get to the, this question about the future of the wide receiver room. Uh, so we also got a question from KS chaser, any good receivers coming up uh, in free agency in the off season Town Halls Canada says only Rice and maybe Hardman should return. But, hey, even Rice has serious issues carrying the football. First of all, let me address that second part. Rice does not have serious issues carrying the football. Uh, Rice is the centerpiece of this wide receiver room this year and should, again, be next year. Um, I would love to see them find some elite free agent wide receiver to add to the top of that room. I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to – build around Rasheed Rice and, uh, you know, whoever else they they bring back from this group. I'm not sure it's going to be McCall Hardman. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to be Darius Toney, um, you know. But but I think of all of them, Rice is, is one that I absolutely want to see them build around. Yeah, I think Rice, though, you know, I think there is going to be some a ceiling to, you know, how much he, become, he can become a true number one wide receiver. I think his best – I think they set him up best if he is a really high upside number two receiver and they still have somebody that can be kind of that all around, you know, winner and all aspects of the game. Mike Evans is someone that is going to be a free agent this off season who, you know, I know he is, he's 30 years old or he was 30 years old this year, um, which, you know, Hey, isn't that that old, honestly, um, in today's NFL with what we've seen, we're seeing guys, you know, Kelsey is 34, I think. Right. Um, and we're just starting to see him maybe, finally show some signs of age uh just some not not totally but all that to say yeah mike evans is someone t higgins is going to be tough you know right he's probably going to get re you know franchise tagged and kind of maybe traded michael Pittman might be in that same boat but he is also kind of that number one receiver type um that i think can do you know all the things that i think Rashid could develop into that but i don't think i don't think it's fair to just bank on that if you're the chiefs i think it'd be nice stockpile the room if rice turns into a number one receiver boom all of a sudden it's like great we got two guys that are awesome if rice is just kind of continues to always be a guy that just you know it's kind of you know like right now really what he is 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 he's schemed open um you know he he he, we're seeing him kind of get more downfield passes down the sideline but a lot of what he does is quick passes quick hitters quick screens um you know shallow crossers um you know kind of just quick decision making you know kind of easy stuff um and so I think it'd be nice to see them kind of not just like bank on him, like turning into way more than that. So yeah, that's no, that, kind of how that's it. the reason why I, I didn't want to give the impression that I don't want to see them upgrade the room. I, I certainly do. Oh, yeah. I just right. think of that room. I, I don't think we should be second guessing rice. I think rice is, is. Oh yeah. hundred percent. He's shown something. Part of that future. Um, yeah. Other free agents. I mean, 
Calvin Ridley would be awesome. I'm, I'm guessing that they'll find a way to That's not a good let one him too. Get the uh, market. Um, he could be your number one guy. I don't know. He really hasn't been. He hasn't really performed that well. They may. Uh, he may not be a, a that high of a. You know that he may not. He may be a value free agent. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's the case, then yeah, I would I'd certainly support that. And there's a bunch of other guys that are kind of your little slot receiver style players that, you know, I don't know that they're going to invest big in, you know, a, a Sterling Shepard, uh, um, you know, a, uh, uh, I, I've always liked LaVisca Chanel just because I think you can do a lot of fun stuff with him, but he's not going to be your featured receiver. Um, you know, Marquise Shoot, Brown. I mean, yeah, someone like Noah Brown even with Houston this year has shown – I mean, he's obviously like someone that's a legit receiver, I mean, in my opinion. I mean, he's yeah, – He's a downfield yeah. guy, right? Like he, he's kind Yeah, of a but he's, he's a pretty good volume guy for them too. Um, Stroud has been able to play – you know, throw a lot to him. He's kind of been a reliable guy this year. So, yeah, no, the free agent receiver position is definitely one they can, they can attack, um, and I think they will. Yeah, Cedric Wilson's another kind of interesting one. Uh, so, yeah, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens there. They should 100% focus on the receiver room the way they did the offensive line in previous seasons or the, the defense in, in last year's draft. This is a, this is a, a unit that needs to be worked yeah. over. Um, I think they should add one veteran as high of a tier as they, could, they can uh, afford and still add one in the first three rounds of the draft and and continue to 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 look at you know future replacements so I, if if I'm the Chiefs my two of my first three draft picks are probably receiver and tight end yeah no I, I think you will see that focus point for sure um but let's talk let's get to shoe brew at shoemaker David's question on Twitter everyone wants to blame the rest and receivers which we've talked about a lot uh, thinking about the past games, I feel like the O line has been a big part of the issue, forcing Mahomes to throw bad passes, taking horrible penalties at worst times, not finishing in the red zone. What say you? And I will take lead on this answer because you know I do think there is something to you know uh, Donovan Smith, Jawan Taylor, both getting penalties at bad times, um, even the interior offensive linemen getting holds at wrong times. This week, there was a play early where Mahomes got sacked on a four-man rush, and he just did not have time to look at anything because Creed and Trey kind of gave way on a a stunt. Not something you see terribly often from them, but it has been a little bit more of a a theme this year. So, no, I do think the O-line should take some uh, responsibility, but just for the record, I I really don't think it's it's enough to say, you know, that's part of the reason, you know, they're not uh, as good as they have been in the past. I think this offensive line, and and we didn't talk enough about Wanya Morris. Probably you put him in your winners, um, and and we have another question about him here. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. From your perspective, do you feel like the offensive line is uh, is doing its thing, doing enough? Yeah, I mean, they can continue to get better, and I think Wanya Morris is going to be part of that. I think Donovan Smith, you know, has has been fine, but there's certainly been too many penalties and too many plays where he just runs into. Mahomes or the running back and rebounds <laughs> off of him. That stuff was pretty frustrating. Wanting Morris is bringing a different level of athleticism, especially to the run game. And I, I think yeah. you'll see a lot of highlight reel blocks from him in the run game. And they should lean on that and lean on the rest of the line and and, and have a good running game going forward. You know, I, I'm not too worried about Jawan Taylor. I think he's he's obviously gotten marked for for penalties and, and he's somebody that they're paying extra close attention to. But 
you know, he's been a pretty good pass blocker overall. Not the best run blocker, but but not a liability either. So I I would say they're they're not a top two run you know uh, offensive line like we had maybe hoped that they could be, uh, but they're still top ten probably. Yeah. Yeah, because the run game is still something that the offensive line is like the reason the run game has been efficient, has been, you know, good. And, uh, you know, I I think the pass protection for the most part has given Mahomes as much time as he's had in the past. I think a lot of times, sometimes you see him run out of the pocket or sack because he's just uncomfortable looking at what's downfield and kind of it just crumbles because of that. It all comes back to the receivers, man. It does. It really does. Stags. Like, seriously, it's crazy. Thomas Ramirez, which rookie looked better versus the Bills, Wani Morris or Chamari Connor? Um, I thought both were solid. I loved to see Connor get in there. I was a lot of people were kind of speculating whenever, um, whenever the Chiefs were down a safety and Justin Reed got banged up. I was like, hey, kind of excited to see Chamari Connor get in there, and, and and I thought he played really well. So I think both of those guys give you some hope for the future. Oh yeah, and and to get into Jake Wilson's question, it leads perfectly into it uh, at Jake for now, our guy. Which of the Chiefs rookies are playing well enough to be trusted in starting roles next season? And so, you know, just to start with Wanye, he's the third round pick from this year. Only four rookies really that have played that we've seen from this year. But Wanye, I am I definitely think I've seen enough uh that I'm just you know, I'm comfortable saying I, I want him to be our left tackle next year in terms of I'm excited to develop somebody, see if they can do it. And I think, you know, he started with a good foundation, man. I think if you ask a lot of the draft people, the thing with him was always just He's an inconsistent player. Like he has the length, he has the size, he 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 has the the footwork at times, but then it's times where it just looks like a mess. And so I think if Andy Heck just makes him consistent, you know, I'm I'm excited to see you know us them build you know develop a left tackle. Mm-hmm. So I think starting off with him, I think he has played well enough to be trusted at the left tackle position next year. Um, who who else? Do you agree with that first of all? And then what else yeah. have you seen from the other rookies? Yeah, for sure. And and I do think that. Um, I think Shamari Connor's got a future in that secondary. We were looking at, you know, hey, what moves should they make in the offseason? Which, by the way, just big picture, I don't love that we're talking about the offseason already. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's a bad sign. But uh, <laughs> since we are, I could see them moving on from MVS. I can see them moving on from Justin Reed uh, and playing Shamari Connor uh, more as part of this young secondary, just continuing that evolution. I'm, I'd be perfectly happy with that. I think Wani Morris has at least earned himself, uh, you know, a really extended tryout at, at left tackle before they make any other moves. And then I think, you know, Felix Anaduke Uzama is is one that we have not seen much of. Yeah. For probably a couple of reasons. One being, hey, they uh, uh, they've got other guys there, right? So yeah. the pass rush has been pretty good without him. So this would be a longer development cycle for him, but he should get some opportunities next year. And and I think, you know, does it matter whether he's a a starter? I, I don't care if he's a starter. I just care is he part of the rotation and is he is he, is he productive next year? And I think he should be. Yeah, because I think you know projecting, you know, looking at the projection, you know, Karloftis obviously will be a starter. Well, Menehu is under contract next year. Um, there's not really any reason for them to get out of that. I would think he's here. And so he'll yeah, probably be the starter, like you just said, with quotes, right? Carl Loftus and Omenahu. But yeah, I think, you know, Felix, I, I've said it from the beginning that I really feel like Felix just needs 
a few, he was a true junior coming out. He was a very young player, young prospect, you know, raw prospect, even getting to K state, you know, there, he was a very, uh, he was like a, a I can't even remember the, the weight number, but he was a very skinny defensive lineman getting to K state. He had to really develop. And I still think there's a lot more to go with that. So you may not see the ceiling for Felix until closer to the end of his rookie deal. And so next year, you just want to see him be more a contributor in the pass rush game, which you know I think we can project that, especially if Dana's not back. They're just going to need someone to step up more in the pass rush. But yeah, I think there is a chance we still don't see him take you know as many snaps as Karloftis and kind of be that dependable on the edge guy next year. So I think he think he will be more of a third third defensive end kind of a you know the first guy off the bench kind of player. Yeah, and there there could be others from this class that end up being on the roster and part of the part of the, the equation. B.J. Thompson's still out there. Uh, Kendrick Colburn is back. I mean, I, who knows? Nick Jones yeah. even uh, could make the roster as a special teamer and, and be be part of the equation. Uh, Daneric Prince obviously could still be part of the equation. He hasn't yet really gotten his opportunity, uh, you know, as a uh, as an undrafted free agent. So I think there's there's a chance that you've got a handful of contributors next year, whether they're officially starters or not. To me, the only ones that are officially going to be starters are Rice and potentially uh, Wani Morris. Everybody else is going to be part of the mix, but I still think it's got a chance to be a really good class. Yeah. Again, I, yeah, I, I've thought this class really did need a few years at the very least, um, you know, two years just to, you know, Rice is someone I thought might, just need time just to get in the offense. Um, and I think, I think he's really just been forced into, into the offense a little bit. I think if, if it was ideal, he wouldn't have such a high idea, you know, a big role yet. Um, but he's just the, the rest of the receivers have kind of pushed him to the top cream, you know, the cream rises uh, to the top as they say. So, yeah, um, I think, I think I'm with you rice and Morris. And then with Connor, I do think there's a chance the chiefs, you know, stick with the continuity at the safety position. Justin Reed has played better this year overall, you know, Spags, you know, they kept Tyron through the, the whole deal he had, um, you know, Spags really depends on his safety position in a lot of ways. And so I think there is a chance that they just roll with the deep safety group next year too. And Connor's that third guy instead of the fourth guy, like he is now. And he's more of the Mike Edwards role where he's the third safety in dime sets. And, and, um, but, but, I could. I also could see Connor just forcing his way because he makes plays, man. And and Spags is gonna. It's gonna be hard pressed to, you know, keep him off the field. Yeah, and he'll he'll always have a home on special teams, but he makes he's making enough plays potentially in the future to to force his way on in on defense as well. All right, well, I'll tell you what, let's look ahead at the more immediate future and talk a little bit about Chiefs Patriots coming up. Um, what are your initial takes uh, from that game? Well, the Patriots have not been an exciting football team to follow or research this year. Um, they've had debatably, you know, some of the worst quarterback play in the league. You know, Mac Jones played himself out of the position, and it was kind of crazy. I mean, they benched him one game, brought him back the next game, and then he benched him midway through the game. And then it was like three times until they finally handed the keys over to Bailey Zappi. And what do you know? He t- he wins. He puts up three touchdowns in the first half last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers um, in Pittsburgh, which was pretty crazy. Uh, it was his it was was it his first start. I was looking. No, it was the second start of the year. Um, second time he started. Um, and so probably going to see Zappy this time. Uh, they do. You know, they obviously are going to depend on the run game. Ramondre Stevenson's a decent running back. But, yeah, I think I think what you're going to see is Spags 
try to overwhelm, you know, play to the line of scrimmage, stop the run early, and then just force them to make plays in the pass game with Juju Smith-Schuster, with Devontae Parker, with, you know, these guys, Hunter Henry at tight end, you know, uh, they just really don't have a lot of guys. You know, Pop Douglas is a receiver, a rookie for them. Um, you know you know who's been crazy impressive? Well, okay. You know who was crazy impressive in this one game? Zeke Elliott's back. That's true. Zeke shows some juice with them, for sure. Zeke had 68 yards rushing plus 72 yards receiving and a touchdown in this uh, the, their game last week against the Steelers. Uh, of course, Ramondre Stevenson was out, uh, and so they were – they were down a man in the, in the rushing. He's the only running back that, that got a carry uh, in, in that game against the, the Steelers. So uh, Zeke is somebody to watch out for. Juju had a nice game this last week, four catches, 90 yards. Yeah, 37-yard catch and run. I mean, he may not be 100% done, but there's an awful lot of folks on this on this squad that, that most Chiefs fans are going to look at and say, I've never heard of that person and and the quarterback being one of those uh this is not a team at three and ten that the chiefs should have trouble with but should is the key word (laughs) yeah that's the thing their defense has played better um in recent games you know they gave up 31 to miami in late october and haven't given up more than 20 since um you know they they shut out LA or no, sorry, excuse me. They gave up six points to LA. They were shut out against LA, uh, the chargers, but they did only give up six points to the chargers offense, which, you know, hasn't been its usual self this year held the Colts to only 10 points, um, you know, back in, in November, which, you know, the Colts, you know, they've had an offense this year that's put up points at times. So the Patriots defense is definitely one that's bounced back since early season, kind of looking rough, but I don't know. They really haven't faced an offense with any sort of uh, explosive firepower since then. And, hey, I mean, the Chiefs haven't shown much explosive firepower, especially if Pacheco, <laughs> right. especially if Pacheco you know, is not back, which that'll kind of be the key thing here because, you know, I, I think we can end, you know, end on that note, uh, Stags, but, like, I don't know your thoughts, but, like, once Pacheco was out before this last game, like, I, I, it was amazing how it changed my opinion on the game. I've never thought that way about a, a running back with this offense, but I think that just tells you, how much this team needs just something, some sort of spark plug. And Pacheco brings it. And when he's not there, mm-hmm. it can be noticeable. Yeah, he's he's the energy guy. He really does make a big difference. Um, so yeah, hopefully he's back and the you know, Drew Tranquil's back on defense and they're able to to put together more of a complete performance and just at this point, keeping themselves out of a situation where they have to have that game winning drive at the end that you know that's going to be their best path to success right now until until some things change they're just going to need to keep themselves in a close not in a, such a close game get a lead you know and and make it a two score game you know and and early on so that it doesn't end up in this situation where they put themselves in a hole they're down 14 nothing to start the game and then it comes down to a uh, you know, they come back and make it close, and then you've got one chance to win it at the end just because that's not been the recipe for success as of late. So I'd sure like to see them control this game a little bit more, put some points on the board early, not get into a big hole, and then and then not have to rely on that last-minute drive. Yep, yeah. I think if Pacheco's back, I think you're going to get a healthy dose of him. Um, although, you know, again, I mean, Clyde and, and McKinnon did have a decent – 
you know, the strong showing this last week. So, you know, I think either way, you're going to see the run game play a factor and the chiefs are going to try to get to uh, back to arrowhead for Christmas day for the Raiders game, you know, uh, healthy and, and, you know, off a win. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's these last few games, guys, it's, it's going to be just waiting for the playoffs and, and, I'm ready for it to happen. I'm ready for the playoffs to start and for the Chiefs to to show, you know, to prove me wrong. I mean, I'd love to be wrong about the season that looks stags, but uh yeah, let's see yeah. how much they've been saving for. We're gonna have play. to wait a little bit, right? We're gonna have to wait about a month until then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully Andy Reid and company have something up their sleeves. Uh definitely tune in to see the results of that that game, but also continue to listen with, with us, Narrowhead Podcast Network. Check out all of Ron's work and everybody else's on the on the site, there's plenty of coverage of the Chiefs from, from every day of the week. Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to listen with us today. And we'll talk to you next week, hopefully on a little bit brighter note. Hey there, it's Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride. And I'm excited to announce a new element of the Arrowhead Pride experience for diehard Chiefs fans. It's our brand new newsletter, Arrowhead Pride Premier. Arrowhead Pride Premier is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week from me. For $50, you'll get an annual subscription packed with insider coverage from yours truly and new in-depth analysis from voices around Kansas City. It's all about what I'm seeing and hearing around the team. During the season, we'll deliver a newsletter ahead of each game to get ready for Sunday and a newsletter after after each game to unpack exactly what happened. Subscribe to Arrowhead Pride Premiere today at arrowheadpride.com slash subscribe.